We're continuing our um, summer psalms. Today we're going to do a psalms of lament. And I'm real excited about today because all the psalms are personal. In fact, I want you, first of all, we're going to look at four different psalms. A lot of scripture reading today like we did a few weeks ago. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, keep it. Um, but So raise your hands if you need one. We'll be in four different psalms today. And the psalms of lament are about when life becomes unbearable. And keep your hands up, they'll bring them. One of my favorite movies to quote is Princess Bride. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, gosh, pushing 40 years old probably. And um, so I'm not going to explain the movie to you. If you've seen it, you've seen it. If you haven't, go download it or rent it, whatever you call it today. Yes, but there's this one scene where the dread pirate Roberts has taken Princess Buttercup captive. I know it sounds totally corny. Um, and, and he's mocking her pain because she lost the one she loved. And she says, you mock my pain. And the dread pirate Roberts says this, life is pain, highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. And that is utterly true. It took a comedy to make us think about it, that life is pain. And if we had a, I've said this before, if we took a microphone and went around the room, we'd be here all day long with testimonies of pain. And the question is, God, where are you? What are you doing? If, if you're the God the Bible says you are, if you're the God my pastor teaches about, you have control of all things. Why didn't you stop this? Don't you care about me? Don't you love me? Those are the times for the Psalms of lament. And I encourage you to write your own. Because we're going to look at four of them today. And in your notes, if you have a bulletin, there's notes in there. I put about seven or eight Psalms of lament that I use for this study. They're wonderful to read and to to copy, to, to use as a model for you to pray to God in the middle of your pain. Pain and hard times, they're a universal experience. And some of us have more than others. Physical pain, emotional pain, financial pain, family pain. I have a statement that with great love comes great pain. So sometimes no one can create more, create more pain in your life than the ones closest to you, your family. Societal pain, we can go on and on. Spiritual pain, the spiritual warfare. The biblical writers express their pain in song, the Psalms of Lament. And this is what's important today because I think we forget, sometimes we approach the scriptures with a, a, a more didactic, um, um, intellectual approach, the idea that, you know, that there's the worship music and then the teaching. Well, the Psalms, the Psalms as a whole, and all the Psalms of Lament we're looking at today were songs sung by Israel. And we'll show you that. This is Israel's worship music. To come to God in song, to cry out and say, where are you? So what is a Psalm of Lament? A Psalm of Lament is a song that cries out to God in the midst of pain, even despair, looking for answers and deliverance. Let me tell you the elements of the Psalm of Lament. Basically, the Psalms of Lament have these elements. Not every Psalm of Lament has all five of these, but all five of these are, are present in the most of them. First of all, my life is really hard right now. 
or to put in the vernacular, my life sucks, God. My enemies are winning. The enemies could be people or a disease or whatever, the devil. And you, Lord, aren't doing anything about it. And then there's a call out, oh, save me, Lord. And I didn't realize that when I was studying it this week. The phrase, save me, Lord, is where we get our word, Hosanna, from. Every time we, said, we say Hosanna, we're saying, save me, Lord. And uh, I didn't realize how prevalent it was. And most, the fifth one, most of the laments end with a renewal of faith, praise for Yahweh, and a commitment to serve him. So they run from that, my life is horrible, you're not doing anything about it, to, but I love you. The heart of a lament could be summed up with this, where are you, God? Where are you, God? The emotional rawness of a lament. I want you to listen to Psalm 77 and look for this emotional rawness here. Starts off with, for the director of music, for Jeduthum, of Asaph, a psalm. Asaph was David's worship leader. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. Look at the rawness now. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? I want to remind you, these were songs Israel sang in worship. Can God handle our rawness? Sometimes, and we had men's breakfast yesterday, and, and Bill spoke, and he said, how are you guys doing? We're doing good. He said, no, how are you guys really doing? We're doing good. And then what did you say, Bill? You can't say it in church. You said it yesterday, but you can't say it today. He basically said baloney. <laughs> because we're not honest with each other. We're not honest with each other about how hard life is, and, and, we, and, and we don't think we have permission to tell God how hard life is. He knows it already, but he wants to hear from us. He wants that rawness in our emotions to come to him. It's an act of worship according to the Psalms. We need to add that to our understanding. Where are you, Lord? Have you forgotten me? Don't you care? Famous quote by C.S. Lewis in his book, A Grief Observed. If you haven't read it, get it. It will, it will floor you. It's the book he wrote after his wife died. His wife was named Joy. C.S. Lewis was committed to a single life and lived that way for a long time. If you don't know who C.S. Lewis was, he's a British scholar who was an atheist that became a Christian. Actually, J.R.R. Tolkien led him to the Lord. And later in life, C.S. Lewis met an American woman named Joy and fell deeply in love with her and married her. And I don't know the exact timetable, but it wasn't long afterwards, a year or two or so, Joy got cancer. And she, um, 
died a very slow, painful death. And so here's what he wrote in A Grief Observed. It's his lament about where are you, God? When you were happy, so happy you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you were tempted to feel his claims upon you as an, as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all, others, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, Silence. C.S. Lewis had prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal his wife, and he didn't. That's how he felt. You ignored me. You don't care. Now, clearly, he came out the other side. But it's an honesty of emotion, a rawness, that sometimes life hits so hard, and we know that God, would you agree with me? God is all-powerful. God is good. So whatever God does, he's capable of doing whatever he chooses to do. And in the end result, everything he does is good. And is God just? And everything God does is right. Then why am I in pain? Why did my wife die, C.S. Lewis? Some of you have lost children. Some of you financially ruined in life. He could, have, he could have stopped it all, but he didn't. That's what a lament is for, to call out to him. So let's look at some applications for our lives today. Here's a question. In the middle of, of pain and God's not delivering you, is God punishing you? Does God punish his children? Um, when, I, when I said, is God punishing children, I see several heads go like this. I saw someone said disciplining. It's a difficult question in our culture today because here's what we want to do. We kind of hold to a dualism. We don't even know it. We want to make God all good, devil all bad. And there's these equal powers in the universe. That's dualism. And so if anything good happens, God did it. If anything bad happens, Satan did it. And that's not biblical. There's God who is good, just, and always holy and righteous, then there's Satan who's a creature and has no power equal to God at all. And yes, Satan brings devastation into our lives sometimes because God allows it. We make bad choices sometimes. And what does the scripture say when we make bad choices? Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Don't be deceived, my friends. God is not mocked. Whatever, whatever, whatsoever a man sows, that he will reap also. Some of the things are our consequences God allows or brings upon us, however you want to verbiage it. Could he have stopped those consequences? Help me more. Could, could he have stopped the consequences? Has, do you realize how many consequences he stopped that your actions deserve because of his mercy he didn't let come upon you? Who knows how many? It's, it's one of my most famous prayers. Oh, God, have mercy. But at the core of his God punishing me often is, I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything wrong. Which might be true. Listen to Psalm 44. It's a long reading. I'm going to read about 16 verses to you. 
Israel, this is, this is what's called a, a community lament. It's, it's someone writing on behalf of Israel. In God, we make our boast all day long. I'm starting verse 8, Psalm 44, verse 8. This is by the sons of Korah. So it's, it's very old in Israel's history. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame. My face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came upon us, here it is, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. His point is, if we'd have turned our back on your covenant, we understand, but we didn't. Our hearts have not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Verse 22, yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Stop there for a moment. Paul quotes that, the Apostle Paul quotes that verse. In the midst of a cry out and a lament to God, you are being unfair to us and we don't deserve this. That's the emotion or the perspective of the writers. There's this call out for your sake. Because of you, we face death all day long. And we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered by others. Paul quotes that at the end of Romans 8. Do you know the context of Romans 8 at the end? He quotes that in the midst of what could separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? And what can separate you from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. But because of Paul as an apostle and the people he traveled with were deeply persecuted and beaten. They went hungry, shipwrecked, spent the night in the deep, beaten with rods many times. Paul felt like this. But so he quotes that in the midst of what he knows to be true. Nothing separates me from the love of God. So it's an amazing, and you know what's funny? I see Old Testament quotes all the time when I read the New Testament. I don't always go look for the context. Then I realize the context of Paul's words where my experience is great, great pain right now and rejection by people around me. But here's what I know to be true. God deeply loves me. But this writer hasn't got there yet. Verse 23, awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? By the way, does God need to sleep? So does this writer know that? He has to. So why is he saying this? It's a very poetic way, very expressive way to, to talk to God about, it sure feels like you've completely forgotten us, like you're asleep and we're in trouble. Now that's emotional, emotional rawness. 
but is it an appropriate way to talk to God? What I'd like to do now is this last week or a week ago, Elena and I asked Frank and Wendy Sushan to come in, sat right there, and I interviewed them and Elena recorded it. And we talked for about 45 minutes about the pain in their life, what they've been going through this last seven months. And so Elena took that 45 minutes and cut it down to five minutes. And you get the highlights. It was a blessed time that we were together. But I want you to see this as a testimony of a couple who cried out, where are you? So let me let, let their words speak for, for them. Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is Frank Sushan. This is my lovely wife, Wendy. We've been going here since the fall of 2014. Today we're here to, to share our story. In January of this year, I went to the hospital and they said, oh, Frank, you have a UTI infection. And they said, oh, by the way, while we were poking around, your heart's in bad shape and you're gonna need surgery. While I was getting ready to be transported, I had a stroke. And then 12 days later, they did open heart surgery. From there up through probably most of June, I was in recovery in a couple of different hospitals. Wendy could visit me, but I wasn't at home. Valentine's Day was when he had his open heart surgery. Mike Sachi uh, came up. He said, let's just go for a walk. Later on the day, I get this picture of this rock that he took, and in the rock was a hole, and the hole was the shape of a heart. And he said, a heart for Frank. That helped me get through the surgery. To me, it was like a, a sign that he was gonna make it through that surgery without any problem. Those were those up moments that you get, and then you'd think things are going good, and I'd come in, and then they said, he was doing good, and then they said, oh, we have to revive him. And so then I'm, I'm back down to, okay, why? Is there a reason for this? I don't know what it is. So I actually did shake my fist and get mad and say, I don't understand why you're doing this. I haven't done anything that that's bad to deserve this much punishment. As I progressed through these seven months of, of ailments and rehabilitation, it was just overwhelming. And, uh, there were times uh, I just didn't think I could handle it. And I felt that uh, at times that uh, God wasn't listening and I was more concerned about Wendy than about my own health. I know that we could not have gotten through this without our faith, because even if I didn't sound like it and I would get upset, I know deep down that God loves us and God isn't punishing us and God is, there's a purpose for everything and there's a time for everything. I just wasn't in my time, and I guess it was his time, not mine. One of the best memories was four weeks ago when we, uh, went to worship here. I stood up and, and with the help of a walker, raised my hands to the Lord. And I was so blessed. 
and we leave that. He is my God. He has not forsaken me. And I love him. And I will do anything to, to share the glory of that with others. God is so good. In spite of all we've gone through, and we're not even done yet. Uh, I should have been dead three times ago. And uh, he's kept me alive. I love you. Yeah, and uh, so he, he's uh, wanting me to do something. And I'm more than willing, if it's just sharing this testimony or, or actually be involved in a, a specific ministry to help others who've gone through what I've gone through, I'm here ready to go do that. I now have something to share that it's, it's okay to get mad at God. It's okay to, to yell and shake your fist. It's, it's okay to tell him that he's not doing it right. And, and it, it is okay, he can, he's a big God. We reflected on how our church family supported us. You know, we get visitors, we were inundated with, we get well cards Poster. and flowers and posters and a prayer vigil and um, it, it's overwhelming. Beloved support, we thank you. Thank you, God. We praise you. We love you. We adore you. Jesus has been doing this all the time. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. And then he all drags me in with him, so. And I'll mention that in the. You may have to hold on to it. You got to have bloopers at the end. Thank you, Frank and Wendy, very much. Um, Wendy asked the question, or she said, it's okay to get mad at God. That's true emotion. And she said, God's a big God. He can handle it. But we don't want to stay there. The Psalms of Lament don't stay there. Next point. Don't let your circumstances define who God is. What, what, look at, please read this carefully. Wait till it gets up there. Don't let your circumstances define who God is. Rather, allow the truth about who God is inform your circumstances. Did you hear the major difference? Some days, if, if my circumstances determine who my God is, he is not good, he is not righteous and just, he is not loving to me, because my circumstances would suggest those things are true. Then what follows that? A destroyed faith, despair, but when I know who God is through his word and through his spirit, then I can say, I know the truth about you, God, and my circumstances are challenging that truth, but I'm depending upon that truth to inform the circumstances I'm in right now. Ephesians 1.17, this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. I keep asking God that the, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Pursue God all the time, in the good times and the bad times, because it will be that relationship you've built with him 
that then informs the pain in your life. But pain can cause us to believe lies about who God is and about who I am. So, so that's the, the thing. And we've all been there. We've all been there about if this pain is real and God could have taken care of it, therefore God must be, we might believe a lie. Psalm 22 is an example of this. Who recognized the first line? The first line is this, for the director of music, to the tune of the doe of the morning. Isn't it sad we don't have the songs, the, the, the music anymore? There was a tune that was common. David chose this tune, a psalm of David. This psalm is about David's experience of what his enemies did to him. Let's look at the very first line. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where do you know that from? Stan preached on it about a month ago. Jesus saying those words. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and then when he went to the cross. My God, my God. This is David first. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? So clearly David believes some kind of lie. Because God actually made a covenant with David that he would never forsake David. 2 Samuel chapter 7. But David's believing the lie. His experience says something else. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in Yahweh. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Those words are also quoted in the New Testament, too, about Jesus on the cross. I encourage you to read through Psalm 22 today to see David's pain, but then to see the parallel, how David, knowingly or unknowingly, I don't know, is actually prophesying to the Son of God on the cross. There's a beautiful thing here. David is writing here, misunderstanding who God is and who he is. I'm a worm, he says. No, you're not. You're a child of God. You're made in his image. You're deeply loved. And for some purpose of God, you're going through hell. But with a good outcome. In the New Testament, what is the outcome, by the way? What is the outcome of all your pain? This is where you talk back to me. What's that? Okay, our salvation, a full and final salvation where I am conformed to the image of Christ. We've talked about that in this church before. That salvation is a past event, an ongoing event today, and a future event. And everything I go for, God, everything I go through, God is conforming me to the image of his son. And on some day I will stand before him holy and blameless, just like Jesus Christ. And he just doesn't do that by going like that. He does it through every event of my life, including the pain. Everything I go through is also for God's glory. Here's a beautiful truth, though. This is kind of a step aside for a moment. God, have you forgotten me? Where are you? And I don't want to get cliche-ish. Remember the footprints in the sand? See, God became human. God became human 
and suffered everything that we suffered, tempted every way we were tempted without giving in, died for us, was buried and rose again, ascended to the right hand of God where he intercedes for us constantly, and someday will return again to make everything whole. God knows your pain, not as a distant God who has all knowledge, but as a God who became human, was betrayed by those he loved, mercilessly beaten on, with a whip, crucified a horrible death, and then buried. And in the midst of that, he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God felt that way. Did the Father forsake the Son? I, I want to vote. How many of you say that the Father would never forsake the Son on the cross? And if you don't know, that's okay. How many of you say the Father forsook the Son on the cross because of our sin? A little more hands there. I tend to be that one. But we'll see some verses in a moment that maybe suggest differently. That it's certainly differently for David. But always in the New Testament, whatever the Old Testament has, when it applies to Jesus, it ups the ante. But the pain point's still the same. Our God entered our pain. He understands it completely. Not just intellectually, because he knows all things. Experientially, our God suffered so much, he called out to his Father and said, why have you left me? Don't you understand what I'm going through? So in finality, always return to praise in the midst of your pain. Always return to praise in the midst of your pain. Frank and Wendy exhibited this greatly in our interview and in the little clip we showed you. That in the midst of that, why aren't you fixing this? Wendy getting mad at God. Frank going to despair. We didn't put it on the thing, but Frank said I could share it. At one point, because of the tension and the stress in getting better, Frank feared his marriage wouldn't make it, which devastated him. That's what happens on a human level when there's deep pain. But God is good. Their marriage is doing great, is it not? Yes, so I want to make sure you know that. Um, but in the end, Frank and Wendy are worshipers. They know the truth about who their God is. They ultimately did not allow their circumstances to define their God, but allowed who their God is to inform their circumstance. So I want to do this. I want to read the ends of these four psalms that we've just walked, talked about and how they all return back to praise in one way or another. So Psalm 13, which, by the way, is Gabe, our, our, our youth director, his favorite psalm. Psalm 13 is this way. I, but I trust in your unfailing love. But in spite of all that I'm going through, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh's praise, for he has been good to me. Can you say that in spite of all the pain in your life? Psalm 77. After the, um, the um, I think it was this was the sons of Korah. After complaining about unfairness and that God you know, abandoned them, then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. See, when you're uncertain, if you know your scriptures, you can go back to, okay, this doesn't seem right. My pain is so great. Why isn't my God stopping this? But then I go back and I rehearse what I know to be true from scripture. 
I, I rehearse the good things God does and the purpose he has. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? Answer that for me. What God is as great as our God? There isn't any. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Absolutely. Which means, no, Hosanna. Well, God save us. Psalm 22. This is the one where David cried out, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus quoted on the cross. Look how David comes back to a belief that God didn't abandon him. Psalm 22, verse 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Here it is. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. First, that applies to David. But prophetically, it applies to Christ. Ultimately, the Father did not despise or scorn the suffering of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He used it to save us. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. On top of Psalm 22 today, go read Hebrews chapter 5, to where Jesus cries out to God and God hears him and delivers him. Not from dying, but delivers, delivers him from staying dead. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before who, before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. That's what it means to recommit yourself to service. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Yahweh will praise him. And may your heart live forever. Your hearts live forever. At the end of the earth, excuse me, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to Yahweh. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to Yahweh and he rules over the nations. Never forget that about your God. There isn't a time ever where God goes, I lost control. Satan won. Never. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All will go down to the dust. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. You see, we're contingent. The only one that is truly eternally alive is God. We're contingent. If he says we stay alive, we do. If he says we live forever, we do. Always contingent and dependent upon him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So, the Dread Pirate Roberts to Princess Buttercup. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. If we stop there, that's called nihilism. Nihilism is there is no purpose. Go ahead and end it. But nihilism is a lie. Because our God is alive and he is good. And in the midst of my pain, I need to remember that and not interpret who he is in light of it. So life is hard. And guess what? We're all going to die. We are. It's a reality. Each decade that goes by, I realize that more and more. But God is good. 
He has not abandoned us. He has great purposes for all that happens to us, good or bad, pleasurable or painful. He has a purpose for it. Pain and death do not win in the end. Yahweh does. And his victory is bestowed upon you and me at the resurrection from the dead. So we have a message to the broken world. Our God is good and redeems all that our brokenness. That's, that's part of our, our purpose statement, you guys. As we in, discover who God is and what he's done for us in Christ, as we grow in Christ-likeness, and then as we engage a broken world with the hope of the gospel. That's what we live for. That's why we're still breathing air today. It's because we need to go out in a, in a manner that is, is acceptable and receivable by the people, engage them with this glorious truth that pain and death don't win. Yahweh does. And remember, God is in the midst of your pain. He's not outside, separate. He lives in you. He gets it because through the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, he came and endured in a very real way everything we do. I want to end on a quote of Johnny Erickson Tata. I just got this in an email yesterday, and um, I thought, this fits, I'm using it. If you don't know who Johnny Erickson Tata is, she's, I don't know, she's probably about 70 today. When she was 16 years old, she dove into a bay and broke her neck, and she's been a quadriplegic since she was 16 years old. And um, has an incredible ministry called Johnny and Friends all through the world of helping people who, who are suffering, special needs, quadriplegic, par I mean, it's just amazing who she ministers to. But here's a quote. You could experience a baker's dozen of serious issues layered one on another. Financial pressures, health pressures, relationship pressures, spiritual warfare pressures, the pressures of unthinkable grief or cruel pain. It will not crush you if you believe that Jesus Christ is in it. Not separate watching. He is in the midst of it. Let's pray to our great God and Savior. Father, we thank you for this amazing truth. Thank you that you, for our sake, in your glory, would put in your word, worship songs that actually the writers challenge your goodness. I don't know why you did that, God, but thank you for allowing us to be real with you and raw and express our hurt, express our disappointment, maybe even yell at you and get mad. As Wendy said, you're a big God. You can handle it. But thank you, Lord, that in these same Psalms, these writers who, who felt crushed in despair came back to worship and glorifying you and serving you. Work that in each one of us today, no matter where we are in this room, whether life is wonderful today or overwhelming. Remind us of the truths of how great you are, that all this pain is temporary in some way or another, and that there's this thing called the new heavens and the new earth coming someday where righteousness reigns, sin is obliterated, and whatever we feel like we missed in this life will be fulfilled thousandfold there, Lord. Help us to put our great hope in that day more than today. We love you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.